the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Andrea K Show. Smooth like butter, sweet like honey. Looks so good like she made off money. She's blonde, five foot two, and 102 pounds of dynamite in a dress. Here she is, Andrea K. It's a woman's world. All right, ladies and gentlemen, so good to have you here on the Andrea K <gasps> Show tonight. This is great. So. <laughs> Andrea, she ate so much at Thanksgiving, she's actually taking the rest of the week off. So we're proud of her for doing that. We are grateful for Andrea giving me the mic tonight. So Andrea is my guest tonight, and I am so happy about that. But did you you actually introduce yourself, guest uh, guest host? Oh my gosh, no. That's right. The song was supposed to be about me. (laughs) And now here he is. He looks really good in khaki pants. It's Gary Quackenbush. (laughs) That's right. And he is six foot one, 164, mountain bikes three days a week. It is Gary Quackenbush of GQ Law. How are you doing, Andrea? Uh, well, you know what? I'm good. I'm sitting here thinking maybe I need to pull out my nail file and give myself a mani-pedi and let you take over the show, man. Last hour See? was rough. I had to do all these tough topics and like, because I, I had to serve the veggies and now I'm just oh. ready for some dessert, man. I'm ready to have some laughs with you. Um, Before we get into the quack and the whack, which everybody loves the segments now with the wacky laws. And And now the mic is back to Andrea K. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, because it it is called the Andrea K show. So, you know, that's I'm sorry. Okay, I forgot to do that. So, Gary Quackham is reporting live. Back to you, Andrea. <laughs> you know what? You could be my boots on the ground. Where can we send Quack out with a microphone? We need to send him out among I, the people. I would do that. That would be so funny. So, well, why are you standing on this dark corner? Funny you should ask. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, of, of dark, um, well, no, that's not a segue. Let's talk about your Thanksgiving. Did you have a good Thanksgiving, Gary Quackenbush? It was so great. And I love it? Thanksgiving. It is so fun. And we had, um, yeah, so we barbecued the turkey. I've done mm. it um, for three years now. And it's really nice because you don't put stuffing in it because it cooks a little bit faster. So we learned mm. that way. And so it's outside. It's, it was windy, which is funny. But we have this nice little barbecue. And that frees up the oven and all the stuff's going on inside. My daughter, son-in-law, and three of our grandkids were down with this, Emmy, Dylan, and Wyatt. And it was a blast. Oh, really oh that's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, I had a great Thanksgiving myself, hanging out with friends. I didn't have to cook. Yeah. I love it when I'm a guest, right? And all I got to do yes. is show up and be me, right? And Which is fabulous. <laughs> that's wonderful. Well, that, the thing is you bring all the entertainment, you bring the fun, and they just feed you. I that's try. Fun. I try. I do my best. All right, Gary Quackenbush. Uh, it's time for Quack and the Whack. You got some wacky laws for us uh, this week? Well, there's two that I thought because my topic tonight is pretty is pretty serious. But anyway, okay. um, so the yeah, there's two things we found out in Chico, California, and you know Chico. I don't oh, know, my Chico family's in Chico. Chico again. More Chico news. Mm-hmm. Bowling on the sidewalk is illegal. <laughs> so, so I think that's really unfortunate because you know if there are people that you know they can't afford to go to bowling alleys, it's kind of expensive, and mm. you would think you know bowling on the sidewalk. 
And the thing that that I didn't find in the in this little you know crazy law thing is is it like bowling with a bowling ball or is that you know how sometimes you go like bowling for humans and you kind of run down the sidewalk and knock them out of the way <laughs> you may have not done that before, there was this movie that my parents loved i don't remember it it was a movie called because i was too young death race or something skins is nodding his head he's heard of this movie death race 2000 or yep. something that had had to do with with people trying to mow down people with their cars i mean i don't know maybe that's where this law came, came from that's a form of bowling I guess where you reminded me of it at least Um, yeah I don't know how yeah it it, I guess somebody must have set up some pins and rolled a ball down a sidewalk and people and and took took a granny out or something there's got to be a story there Gary Quackenbush that's 2000 1975 Uh uh-huh yeah you remember it it's supposed to be a classic I've never seen it I just heard it at a computer looking it up yeah, so you've seen his skin. So Skins is into all these funky, weird movies. Well, let me I ask am. you this, Gary That's Quackenbush. That's really cool. Will's- My other law, though, yeah. is in Chico. Driving a herd of cattle down the street is illegal also. So that place sucks. I'm sorry, I said that on the air. <laughs> Beep. That place yeah, I, is so restricted. Yeah. I mean, it's almost as bad as in Texas where you can't, or Alaska where you can't be drunk in a bar. I right. Mean, that's crazy. Look, you know, I don't want to go anywhere where I can't bowl on the sidewalk, where I can't eat my ice cream with a fork, and where I can't walk my my cow down the middle of the street. I mean, there's and bounce just, your pickles and bounce, <laughs> bounce my. <laughs> where okay. was the pickle bounce? Where that was somewhere in Northern California too. That was. Oh uh, no, that oh, was like oh, L.A. area. Okay, I'm trying to think. Pickle pickle bounce. The pickle bounce was like in the L.A. County area, oh. which was really odd. I don't know where it was. It was here. It was well, let me ask you. Th- let me ask you this: Quack, Quackenbush, Gary Quackenbush, yes, GQ Law, heard every day yes, at oh, two. Oh, p- in Connecticut, Connecticut. Oh, that bouncing. was Connecticut. Because I was just going to ask you. It seems like so many of your wacky laws are California based. I didn't know if you were just you know making mocking our own state, or were there just no other states with wacky laws? I am proud to be a member and a. I'm. I'm a. I'm. I was born and raised in the lands of fruits and nuts. That's like true. It. You were the land of fruits and nuts. Yeah, yeah. I was, bo- I was born in Benita in the San Diego Hospital and Sanitarium, and my mom swears that it was in the hospital wing, not the sanitarium wing. And my f- siblings say, "No, we're pretty sure you were born in the sanitarium." Wing. <laughs> I kind of, I'm kind. Well, there's there's something that's that's made your brain go wacky. Gary Quackenbush and you do I know. because I you because you and had kids. Well, yeah, and you embrace the wacky, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right, I'm almost scared to ask. We got to move into the news you can use. Yes. You said you've got you've got a, a tough story this week, and I'm thinking, how could it be worse than the two weeks in a row where I watched two of my favorite crime shows, and two men were murdered um, because of bad estate planning? It can't be worse than that. No, it's not. It doesn't involve. Well, of course, it involves death, but that's because it's the uh, estate planning stuff. No, what what I've been finding is for is. Uh, People sign up to be successor trustees. So mom and dad, they do their trust and they say, hey, I'm going to have my oldest kid be the successor trustee. Mom and dad die. You know, old oldest kid takes over. And I don't know why the thought doesn't cross their mind. Hey, this is all mom and dad's money. Hey, this is going to me and my siblings. I should actually account for this and be responsible and realize that it's not really my money. But I'm just seeing so many successor trustees out there. They just they pretend like it's their own money and they mm-hmm. they're not accounting for it and we've been going to court a lot on stuff like this lately oh really where the successor trustee 
has not done their job right. You know, four or five years later, the, you know, the siblings are going like, where's the money? What happened? And it's like, well, I gave you a hundred thousand dollars, but what about the house? When did that sell? So just a lot of miscommunication or non-communication from successor trustees. And I see a lot of beneficiaries that sit back and they don't feel like they can like, you know, say like, Hey, where's my money? Cause you feel like you're being mean or rude or whatever. But, um, I think, successor trustees and beneficiaries need to kind of get their head in the game. And when mom and dad pass away, if you know you're getting some inheritance, don't sit around and wait for a year or two or three and just, you know, pretend like everything's going to be okay. Well, so a couple we're just of, having a lot of, yeah, a couple of questions here. Um, yeah. does it have to be, if you've got a group of siblings, does it have to be one person as the successor trustee? Why not just have somebody die, set up a state planning to where it just gets equally dispersed. So you don't have one person in control of four people or whatever's um, assets. I don't even understand, I guess, why there's a, a successor trustee that, that, because then it leaves the other siblings vulnerable to the controls of one of their siblings. It does. Um, the alternative is to have a professional trustee or to have everybody named as joint and the joint huh. trustees actually cause more problems than just a solo trustee why well because they get into fights and they can't agree on anything because if you're if you like for example if you have three successor trustees like all three of your kids mm -hmm. they all have to go to the bank together literally oh. at the same time you can't sign oh, God. It no that's a no-go yeah it's really difficult but what happens though andrea is that People, after their parents pass away, they don't communicate anymore, and I don't know why. It's like they, they just need to kind of team up and say, okay, what, what can we do to help and then stay on top of things yeah. and just be a little bit – I guess be a little bit bold about it and just stay on top of things like, hey, brother – you know, how's the house sale going? What can I help you with? You know, what do you need? I need to know what's going on in the accounts. Is this there's a, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Well, let me, excuse me for interrupting, but I get these questions pop into my head. Uh -huh. So are they compensated to be the successor trustee? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's in the trust that they can be compensated. Very, very rarely do you ever say no compensation because then the trustee will say no. But many of the successor trustees, if they're a child and beneficiary, they, they usually waive it. They say, well, I'm not going to take any fees. I usually tell them, because they want to tell me that up front, I say, okay, here's what we have to do. Here's all the legal process. There's a lot of things we have to do to to you know distribute a trust. And I say, and you get paid. And they go, oh, no, no, I wouldn't think of it. I'm, I said, just hold on to that thought. Wait until we're into this about six months and tell me whether you think you want to be compensated mm -hmm. for your time. And right. then six months into it, they go, this is so much work. Right. I have to work with the accountant, the attorney, the investment advisor, the real estate agent. My siblings are just doing their thing and they're all busy, but here I have this burden. Um, so yeah, you should get paid. So another question is, um, how much of what you're seeing the issues are just related to negligence or just like innocent things like just not knowing how to be a trustee and, and what to, how to manage or how to handle this versus how yeah. much is it the successor trustee uh, just begins to operate in bad faith and, and mishandle the situation. I really see most people are operating in good faith. They just don't know what they're doing. Is there somebody that counsels the trustee, a successor trustee, so that they've got guidance somewhere? There should be, but nobody does. I mean, that's the thing. That's why I, I try to promote it so much. Like, you know, hire an attorney, hire somebody that knows what they're doing. Um, because if you're not a professional trustee, which I mean, almost nobody is, um, then you're not going to know what you're doing. 
And I, you know, people just think, I guess, you know, well, we inherited a bunch of money from mom and dad and a house and we can handle it because we're all big boys and big girls. Well, that's true, but you're also living your own lives and now you have to take on someone else's for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's a lack of education and I think um, people just need to realize this is something don't do on your own. You've never done it before unless you really are an attorney that do it. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm acting as the successor trustee for my father. Mm-hmm. I hired an attorney. I mean, mm. I, I've done this for 30 years. I really yeah. know how to do this stuff. But the weirdest thing is as soon as I was in that position, I thought there's no way on the planet me, you know, a trust administration, estate planning attorney, I would never do it and represent myself because there's too many questions. Mm-hmm. I question myself. I question what I've been doing. But I have my attorney and I call him and I say, hey, Pat, how does this work? What about this? Can you do this? Will you help me with this? It's fantastic. I mean, having somebody in your, you know, as partnering with you to mm-hmm. get your job done, it's just worth it because it's money. And I always envi- responsibility, right? I always envisioned that people with large estates had professionals that that handled it. That it wasn't that it wasn't given to a family member because it just seems like that is just nothing but a breeding ground for resentment, anger, issues, etc. I mean, Agreed. would you say would you say that you just recommend in general that it not be one of the siblings that that it be a, a professional? I, Andrea, I actually, if the estate is less than like you know ten million dollars, I really don't have a problem with an individual doing it as long as they recognize that they are a quarterback. Right, they, they're not the receiver, they're not the blocker, they're not the center, they're not the wing. They are the quarterback. That means they're the ones that are calling the plays. And if they realize that that they have to have everybody on their team, I'm all for it. But if they're trying to do it on their own, if they're trying to you know do a remodel because it's got to look pretty before we sell this thing, I think that's when the beneficiaries need to put their foot down and say, "Hey, this is not right. You know, so we the, didn't agree to this." Well, okay, that's my last question. So, uh, so somebody's a successor trustee, do they have the ability to just make all the decisions, or do they have to get buy-in from the siblings? Well, legally, they have the authority to make all the decisions. Um, I wouldn't want have, my siblings. I'm telling you right now, sister, aka the general, you ain't getting to call all the shots. I'm just going to tell you that right now. And that's the thing. So I, I, I think when I'm you know consulting with clients on how to do it, and I say, you know, if you're going to appoint your oldest kid, make sure that all the kids realize they're this. They've got a hand in this. They're going to be watching because the trustees got to account to them. I mean, the, the, the beneficiaries, and I talked about this on my radio show today. I said, hey, if you beneficiaries, I mean, if, if mom and dad have been gone for six or eight months and you haven't heard anything, that's insane. Yeah. You got to get on this and say, hey, brother, you're the trustee. Do this. We need an accounting. And you can actually demand that they provide you a full accounting within 60 days. And they've got to do it. And then what They've happens? I, the I said that that was my last question. It wasn't. So what? So what? OK, <laughs> so you find out you ask for an accounting and then you find out they've spent all the money. Well, then you waited too long. What's your, yeah, is I mean, there recourse? There's recourse. Yeah, you can go to probate court. You file a petition. It's called 17200 petition. You file a petition and say, hey, you breached your duty. You stole the money, you know, that type of thing. I mean, if they've successfully like, you know, dispersed all the money and it's not traceable, if it's trackable, you can go get the money back. But yeah, that's why you don't wait. I mean, if you wait, you know, some people wait three, four, five, six years mm, yeah. and then they go, well, Mom said I could have all the money. Well, where's the trust? And the trust says, no, it's supposed to go with all the siblings. Oh, well, that's not what mom told me before she died. So you just don't wait. I just think people just wait too long. And I'm not saying do it at the funeral. You know, some people do. Well, yeah. Um, You know, but my siblings and I did it really soon after. We just had a short meeting to just make sure we're on the same page. But it's like, 
but don't wait. I mean, my gosh, if you, and, and if you're disinherited, find out right away anyway. You know, just face the music and just realize, are you, am I in or am I out? But just waiting too long, that's the, the problem is distance of time. No communication, no communication and time is <laughs> yeah. what causes all the litigation. Well, as well, you know, this is all stuff that ha- it's going to have to be, it's, it, you know, why it, it's uh, there. It's all about everything about estate planning is about people not wasting time. It's about it's about being proactive, taking steps to protect your family. The longer you wait to put it off, the more problems you create. Once Mm -hmm. somebody passes, uh, the longer you put off dealing with it, if you're a beneficiary, particularly if there's a trustee involved, the longer you put off dealing with it, the more problems it's created. I mean, you know, the the bottom line is death isn't going away. Your assets are going to have to be dealt with. And either you deal with it while you're alive early enough before you're incapacitated to make good decisions and get things or before you find out um, that you've, you know, we've talked about the different scenarios before you die or before you get a diagnosis you're going to be gone in two weeks or before you become incapacitated take care of your family do right by them and then once somebody passes you can't sit around and wait years and then hope that everything's been handled on the up and up for some reason estate planning is an area that people just don't want to deal with they don't want to think about and it ain't going away anywhere agreed i mean whether whether you deal with it or not uh, it's happening Right, and you can mm-hmm. plan to address it or not. And if you don't, you leave a mess for your family. So exactly. you know, this is me on my soapbox. So, any well, final wi- wisdom, Gary Quackenbush, before we let plan. you plan, plan it out. Do an estate plan. Don't make it so that people are guessing. Don't depend on what the probate code says. Just plan the thing out. Mm-hmm. Planning get, is it's all one hundred percent planning. And do it with Gary Quackenbush. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you. Eight five 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 hundred trust. Well, thank you for being here. Thank you for making me laugh. Thank you for starting to host this this hour of the show. <laughs> My pleasure. And that's it for me, Gary Quackenbush, here on the Andrea K Show tonight. Call me at 855-500-TRUST. Back to you, Andrea, in studio. Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Gary Quackenbush. And listen to Gary Quackenbush every day at 2 p.m. here for the Word on Wealth. All right, we're going to take a break. And... Uh I get, we're going to have to go there. Skins found a story uh, about what's happening in New York City that might cause me and him to get into a little bit of a debate on this issue. So don't go anywhere. More Andrea K. Show on its way. Andrea K. Telling you like it is, all while eating a donut. The Andrea K. Show on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back to tonight's Andrea K. Show. I, I said last hour I was going to give out the 24-hour hotline number if you want to call in. That's 844-814-5227. That's 844-814-5227. Okay, so we all know that we've got a homeless problem across the country, particularly in uh, larger cities uh, all across the state of California and in New York City, and it's growing all across the country. And we also know that a huge percentage of the problem of, of those that are in the homeless community are drug addicted and mentally ill. And that poses a serious problem on us from a security standpoint. We've got people in New York City shoving women and, and others in front of subway trains. We've got, there was uh, here in San Diego, there was a man who was walking down the street, I believe it was in Ocean Beach, and, and it was on caught on camera that he was physically assaulted. And this was a man who was fortunately about 6'1 and in good physical condition to survive the assault that took place on the sidewalks here in San Diego. It's just a problem. I know that it, it, it even... 
in my area, in my neighborhood, I've, I, I have concerns about it because I can see that these are people that are literally out of their minds, mentally ill and whacked out on drugs. So what do we do? Right. We, we, we've got a problem here. This isn't this isn't just a situation of people falling on hard economic times. And then on top of it, we know that we've got the left that's continuing to push legalizing drugs. Right. And uh, from pot to, you know, um, wanting to set up heroin stations, uh, you know, so it's a problem that is continuing to grow. And one of the things that Skins and I have debated uh, is the government's role in terms of stepping in and what do they do about the homeless situation itself, as well as the drug addiction and the mental illness aspects of it. Where does the government have a right to step in? First, one thing we debated was whether or not people had a right to live on the streets. Did you have a right to live um, on the streets as opposed to uh, living you know, off the streets, I guess. That was one of the things we debated. And we've also had a debate over whether or not the government had a right to come and take somebody off the street and put them in a facility. And that is what the news today, what Mayor Adams has said in New York City uh, that he prepare, has prepared to do. He said today that he was directing the police and city medics to be more aggressive about getting severely mentally ill people off the street and subways and into treatment facilities, quote, even if it means involuntarily hospitalizing some of the people who refuse care. And this is where Skins, he's shaking his head right here. Um, right now, he's uh, here. But before I bring skins in to debate this, uh, Eric Adams said these New Yorkers and hundreds of others like them are in urgent need of treatment, yet often refuse it when offered. Um, he noted the pervasive problem of mental illness has long been out in the open. He said um, uh, that no more walking by or looking away. We have a moral obligation to act. Uh, his directive uh, would give outreach workers, city hospitals, and first responders, including police, the discretion to involuntarily hospitalize anyone they deem a danger to themselves or unable to care for themselves. And that is where the where it gets tricky because we're giving first responders and people discretion to decide what what level of mental illness somebody has or drug addiction somebody has and whether or not they should be forcibly taken off the streets and put into a facility. Um, what say you, Skins? Well, I mean, it's a very slippery slope because what, you know, one person where you can say, okay, they're violent, they're causing, you know, major disturbances out there on, on the streets and maybe it's very apparent that they should be taken against their will put into a facility. But what if they're not violent? And what if they're not on somebody's property and they're literally just there on the street? The government has the right to come and say, you know what? No, you don't need to be there. There's going to be a slippery slope. It's going to start off as going after certain people. And I see the wrong people being taken against their will off the streets. And that's not right. Well, it, it, it's tricky because, and, and I'd like to hear from you guys, 888-344-1170. Some people, um, you know, I think, it, have the right to, to live on the street, depending on where they're at. Well, but, uh, well, how do you say depending on whether either you have the right to live on the street or you don't? Well, uh, if they're not camped, obviously, on business property, if they're not camped on your front lawn. So then where can they camp? Because what, what where in, in, look at Southern California, where is their free space that's not owned by a company 
right? Or, or um, I guess you could talk about the sidewalks, but those sidewalks are within areas that are owned by a business. Unless it's a public street. Um, or uh, then they'd have to be out in the street. But as taxpayers, do I, ha- you know, do I not have the right to to say no? I don't want to have to maneuver maneuver my car around somebody that's at, trying to wash my windshield and pressure me without my consent to try to try to bang on my my driver's window for money. What about my neighborhood? What about my neighborhood? Do I do I not have the right to say no? I don't want a homeless encampment. The other we got a true story. Y'all gonna laugh at me. We got a new Dunkin' Donuts in La Jolla. Okay, right down there on Gerard, across from it's it's kind of in the Vons parking lot in downtown La Jolla, and they're in the shopping center where the right at outside the exit door of the of the new Dunkin' Donuts was a dude sitting there who set up a house pretty much a cardboard. He's got a shopping cart overflowing, and it's like I'm not going to go into this business. Because I got to come out and practically walk through his little abode that he set up on the sidewalk. So you know what? I'm not going into that Dunkin' Donuts until they get rid of the guy. Right? He's got no business being there. This isn't somebody who's just sitting there, by the way, taking a break. I mean, he set up shop basically there. And, and, you know, um, as as it comes to find out today, I went by there and he wasn't there anymore. So I don't know who got rid of him. I know of somebody who owned a business out on El Cajon Boulevard. And um, the the it purchased the business. The business was uh, in transition, so it was empty. And a homeless person moved in and took up residence and took up shop and called the police. And the police says, "There's not much we can do to get rid of them. What recourse do we have? Should should we not have some recourse? Should they not at least be rounded up and put somewhere?" In a parking lot somewhere or some gov- we've got government owned businesses. I don't think you, I don't think you have the right to just camp out wherever you want. I don't, but I agree that it's a slippery slope when you're talking about institutionalizing people. But it's interesting because we were told, and it is a slippery slope because we were told you can't leave your home because you might have a virus that somebody else is going to catch and we're all in this together, right? What makes, what makes me think, Andrea, they would handle the homelessness? Any differently? Well, they well what they did with the homeless. Uh, well, yeah, they're not making the argument that um, the same argument. They're not saying no. You don't have the right to walk the streets as a homeless person because you're a safety hazard to others. I guess that's what Eric Adams is saying. He's saying this is a safety hazard for people. There was actually a law in New York that was called Kendall's Law, I believe, Kendra's Law. And um, that was put in place in 1999. It allows courts to order defendants with mental mental illness to complete treatment. It was named after Kendra Webdale, who died after being pushed onto the subway tracks by a man with a history of mental illness. So we do know that we've got mentally ill people and you know them when you see them. You know, when you see a homeless person walking down the street in the middle of like uh, like I've seen multiple times around here around the station in the middle of intersections. Uh, there was a, a, a black woman, and I'm not picking on black people because I see it all, but it was just the other day, a black woman with her pants down around her knees. She had undergarments on, thank goodness, in the middle of the intersection by Whole Foods, out of her mind. And whether it was drugs or mental illness or a combination of the both, but this woman needed to be picked up and taken to a hospital somewhere. And if And if, and to me, she was a menace to society at that point. And I have a right to be protected against her. 
And so did anybody else who was walking around there pushing a child in a stroller. Well, that's why I said at the beginning, Andrea, you're, you're going to find the, pe- the, the, the people that obviously are, are, are disturbance. They're, they're may, perhaps violent. And so you create some type of a program or a law that gets them off the street, even against their will. But then what about the people that they appear completely normal? Well, it is a slippery slope because this reminds me of these red flag laws, right? To where uh, somebody can go into a court and say so-and-so is a threat that you need to go and order that they hand over their drugs. And this is the problem when you have liberalism take root in America, right? When you, when you tell people you don't have to work and make a living, you're enti- you, you promote the idea of, of dependency class where people can, uh, you know, just sit around and not have to work and just live off fellow taxpayers and you encourage drug use. You encourage laziness, right? You don't, you don't require anybody to accept responsibility for their life. This is going to breed when you also have economic policies that result in the cost of living being astronomical that people can't afford. You're, you're, th- this is the result of that. And then how do you get the toothpaste back in the tube? That's the problem. Can you? And can you? And nobody seems to have, you know, in the idea of with COVID, Kevin Faulkner, he, he wanted to end his mayorship by, uh, by solving the homeless problem, right? So one of the benefits and one of the purposes, actually, of these COVID communistic crackdowns and, and shutting down entire industries that they picked in, and choose that was they were picking and choosing the industry they wanted to shut down was hospitality, right? And that gave them the opportunity to try to pretend that they were going to solve the homeless uh, problem by uh, forcing hotels to take homeless people in, paid for by taxpayers, didn't solve the problem. They were doing drugs in the hotels. I think there was one hotel in Santa Ana uh, where they were going in there and lighting the curtains on fire. Kevin Faulkner spent $40 million to house 900 people in the convention center under the guise of COVID when we didn't have a COVID outbreak in the homeless community. Why? Because they were outside. But yeah, let's shut healthy people inside their home. After spending $40 million on the homeless population, the convention center, they were back out on the street. So it's a complicated problem, but I don't, but at this point, where do I stand on here? I'm, I'm okay with the government going around and taking whacked out drug addicts off the street and forcing them into facilities. You know what? And if you don't want to be forced into facility, you know, Andrew, if you can prove that they're, that they're drug, drug addicts, then I have no problem with that. Because you know what, if they're not, they could be at Father Joe's Villages and be a part of the worker placement program or be a part of San Diego Rescue Mission. They don't have and, and, and get some help and, and learn a skill and have a way up. Well, well, my guess is if they're not on drugs, Andrea, I'm not going to say all, but I think you would see a significant portion of them that would be willing to go to a Father Joe's. Right. In fact, uh, when Father Joe Carroll was still around, one of the things he said was don't give any money to anybody standing on a corner holding up a sign because nobody needs to beg for money to get food. Those are people that want drugs and alcohol. And that was 25 years ago he was saying that before the problem got as bad as it did. It's grown because of the of the culture, the cultural Marxist shift in this country. And we got to get we, we got to change that shift. And it's going to get worse, though, because speaking of California, we've got a new report out. And this reminds me of the caller we had last night 
who was talking about how the, the the murderer of Amanda back in the 90s is up for parole. Well, we are looking at thousands of convicted pedophiles in California about to be released from prison in less than a year. Thousands who have committed acts like child rape, sodomy and beyond. So we're going to talk about that when we come back. I wish I had more fun to- topics to share with you guys tonight. But not, maybe, not a whole lot of laughter. But maybe if we get active and we start we we start actually doing something to to take our country back, then we can we can spend a little bit more time on talking about fun topics like I don't know dogs. Stay tuned. Andrea K. Bringing the world a much needed reality check. You're listening to the Andrea K. Show on the Answer San Diego. Thousands of convicted pedophiles in California are being released from prison in less than a year. Including rape, sodomy, and sexual abuse of kids under 14. DailyMail.com investigation reveals... 7,000. 7,000 sex offenders. What did we talk about on last night's show, Skins? About uh, what's trendy is pedophilia now. They're 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 not hiding it. Somebody posted today that if if my pillow had done this ad, the left would be all against it. No, they wouldn't. They would just ignore it because the left is all about normalizing. Actually, it, they it, they've already embraced it. Right? This is about trying to force you to rec- to accept the fact that this is what's happening in our country. And this isn't new, by the way. I'm old enough to remember. Who remembers NAMBLA, North American Man Boy Love Association? NAMBLA was around long before MAPS was. Somebody reminded me today, by the way, that uh, Ashley, was that her name? The daughter, Joe Biden's daughter, how she wrote in her diary that she would wait until late at night to take showers because her dad would come in with her. We have a documented pedophile in the White House. That's what's going on here. There was a play. Um, oh, well, before I move on to the play, let me see if there's anything else here to... to, to um, tell you guys about oh no um uh people who've committed the worst kind of child sex crimes including sodomy and rape of children served uh, just really short sentences what does this tell you this tells you that they are okay with children being raped i was telling skins before the show about a story some of you might might remember because it made national news but it was from baton rouge and in 1984 a man whose last name was, I don't remember his first name, Ploche. It's a long, uh, big, big Cajun name down there. A man whose last name was Ploche. His son was kidnapped by his karate instructor and brought here to San Diego, I believe. Doucette was the name of the karate instructor. Just kidnapped somebody's kid, right? I think the kid was seven years old, maybe nine years old, young, right? So they finally found this, kidna- this uh, karate instructor who kidnapped this kid And so they brought him back to Baton Rouge and live on camera in the middle of the news, because this was a story that was for weeks, like, where is this man's kid? And then they they realized he was with a karate instructor. And so this was like major news in Louisiana, right? So as as the karate instructor is being brought through the Baton Rouge airport in handcuffs, you see in the background a man in a hat and sunglasses standing at a bank of payphones. Who remembers payphones, by the way? Standing at a bank of payphones, and right as the karate instructor starts walking behind him in cuffs, he turns around and puts one bullet in the man's head. Well, let me tell y'all, 
What happened in in Louisiana? Louisiana justice was that man didn't serve a day in prison. He was he was um, charged with I think it was involuntary manslaughter or something. Was convicted for seven years and and it was a seven year sentence that got suspended because in Louisiana, at least at the time in Louisiana. They were like, you know what? A man had a right to put a bullet in the head of somebody that sexually molested his kid. And now we're just normalizing it all over the place. In our schools. Absolutely disgusting. What's another aspect or or another story this week of of how the left is just pushing um, this pedophilia movement? Well, I guess there's a play uh, that's called Downstate that was reviewed by a theater critic who said that it uh, was brilliant. Um, It it questions, uh, he says the work is, quote, tough stuff, questioning how society treats those convicted of heinous act. Because, right, that's where where they want us to put our focus, about how society treats them. Because they're the victims, right? They're the victims. He referred to it as a scintillating new play, as one where, quote, the punishments inflicted on some pedophiles are so harsh and unrelenting as to be inhumane. He goes on to say, it's almost impossible to broad brush the perspective at the heart of this impeccably acted drama without sounding as if one is advocating some extraordinary level of consideration for individuals who have committed unspeakable crimes. That's exactly what you're doing. In fact, the, the, in the play, the only person who is deriled is the victim because they've got a character in here named Andy is referred to as the drama's most disagreeable character is the victim of one of the abusers. So they, the, the, the playwright here, according to the critic, made the, quote, most disagreeable, most dislikable character is the victim of one of the pedophiles in this story. This is where we're at. The rapist, the child rapist, the worst of society, the worst of society are now those to be sympathized with. And the victims of society are the bad guys. That's where we're at. Black Lives Matter can burn down entire neighborhoods, can beat business owners over the head with two by fours, but you question the outcome of an election and you go into the gulag, right? You dare to question whether or not you should get injected with a substance, you could lose your job. You're going you're, you're somebody sitting on a board of supervisors and you and you reportedly say you don't want to certify an election because it's fraudulent and you're told you do it or you're going to face felonies and be thrown in jail. So we're, we're letting pedophiles and child rapists out of jail and threatening to put somebody who doesn't want to certify a fraudulent election in jail. It's all backwards. This is where we're at. This is where we're at. Tomorrow, you know what? A memo to me, man. Tomorrow night, we got to find some light topics. You guys have a light topic? You have a topic idea? Let us know, man. Because it's, it's but, we, but we've got to face it. We've just got to face what's happening anywhere. in our country. It's not going anywhere, and it's going to get worse. We can bury our heads in the sand. That's what too many Christians well, have done. A lot of people do. A lot of people do, including Christians. They don't want to face it. And there's people in the pulpit telling their parishioners, look, don't watch the news. Protect your thought life. 
Have yourself some peace. Have you read the Bible? You realize where this is going? You ain't going to have any peace. Unless at some point you're willing to take the mark of the beast in order to buy groceries. You going to have peace then? Or is that, or, or, or are we not already there in a sense? Have we not already had people uh, virtually in a sense already be willing to take the mark of the beast because they've been willing to get a shot that they didn't want, willing to, willing to succumb and submit to all the tyranny? That's not a test run. Well, it kind of, it well, it kind of was in a sense, right? I mean, if you're willing to let the government tell you that you got to stay inside your house, you're willing to let the government tell you whether or not you can go to church, keep your church open, keep your business open, whether or not uh, your kid gets a shot. I mean, the, 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 and this is why when I started the show last hour, I was aggravated with so much focus on China and people using language like China's lockdowns were so draconian. All that does is, is, is feed the left. And it, it assists the left in putting forth the notion that what they did to us was in any way remotely acceptable. It wasn't. Did anybody even vote? Were we even talking about the COVID crackdowns at the midterm election skins? The Republican Party wasn't talking about they it. They weren't talking about it at all. They weren't talking about anything. We're going to take a break. We're, we're out of time on this segment. Y'all got something lighthearted to share with me? 888-344-1170. Please. You're listening to somebody who tells it like it is. Andrea Kay on The Answer San Diego. Welcome back to tonight's Andrea Kay Show. Here's how I can end on a good note. I got an email from a listener telling me I was right and you were wrong. <laughs> okay, here's what the listener said. You are right and he is wrong. Ah, love it. it love it. What's his solution? I would not want anyone setting camp on my front yard. This is why, excuse me, this is why it is so bad. Group them together in a compound of sorts. Humane, of course. I would not want of mine hurt by any of these people. Let the politicians take care of this. They created it. Oh, I also said that they shouldn't be allowed on people's front lawns. So I'm in agreement with that. Okay. Yeah. Um, I I think that um, I, I ultimately, I don't think you have a right to just live on the streets. Um, well, I think, I think if there's parts of, of it, it depends on what you mean living on the streets. I don't, there's many people that do van life. They don't have a, they don't have a permanent residence, right? Uh, there are people, if you watch, um, uh, Below Zero, I think was a show that I used to watch on A&E. There's people up there in Alaska, you know, there's people that just, it, there's just open land. And if you want to, you want to pull up and bring some wood and build a, build a hut and, and live off the grid, there's, there's people who do live off the grid. And I think that's a different situation than the homeless crisis we're talking about. I think it's a different situation. I, I think, um, in in these because we're not talking about somebody just picking a little spot in the woods somewhere and building and building a, a shack. You know, we're talking about people out in the middle of a metropolitan area. Well, what about and somebody in the middle of a back alley that uh, <clears throat> you know there's literally n- nobody else and no and nothing else around? If it's if it's in a residential area, if it's in it depends on where it is in the neighborhood. You know, I I don't I I don't think that's that's appropriate. I, I don't think it is. I think that where where are they going to the bathroom? Where are they going to the bathroom in that alley? That's we remember our hepatitis outbreak we had. It was because of that 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 kind of scenario. So we got to keep this conversation rolling. It's complex, but we got to talk about it. 
Nobody talks about the homeless problem and how to deal with it. Let's keep the conversation rolling. I'm available on all the socials at Andrea K. Show. We'll see you all back here tomorrow at 6 p.m. Pacific time for Hump Day. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.